Middle age. What comes to mind when you hear that? All right, so the next question, when you think of a woman who's aged, let's say somewhere between her early 40s and mid 60s, who do you picture? And if you're not one of these women that I just named in that range, when you're thinking about women in this age range, how do they show up in your everyday life? And maybe the better question is, do they show up? And one last question, since we love questions here, that woman that you pictured, what race is she? So depending on your answers and your own stage of life, you'll process the conversation with our next guest in different ways. Something personal to you, maybe, or something that you might need to open your eyes to, especially if you're in any sort of people-facing business. Yeah, I mean, really, no matter what, it's a conversation that we should all be having more frequently. For us, our big takeaway was that there is more than just the maiden, mother, and sage concept to the trajectory of womanhood. There's also the queen phase. That's midlife. Misasha, you and I are just about queens. And that's what Valerie Albarda talks with us about. To make sure midlife women are not made to feel invisible. And she adds on an extra layer of what it's like to be a midlife woman of color. I hope that you come away from this conversation with as much as we did. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We are your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Misasha, you probably remember me talking about this. I saw a chart a long, long time ago that depicted the relative value to society of women versus their age. And it had this huge decline just as women's youth and basically the ability to bear children declined, meaning we value women so much for this sense of youth and reproduction. And I've been saying to my husband for years that I refuse to lose my value because I'm aging into that stage of life when I'm no longer made to squeeze a baby out of my body, right? I want to be a village elder. I want to be the value add, the wise woman. And Valerie, our guest today, I think you're in alignment with that view. And then for you to add another layer of race on top of that is an incredible new level of perspective. So I'm really excited to dive into today's conversation. Would you please introduce yourself for our audience? Thank you so much for having me, ladies. My name is Valerie Albarda, and I am a midlife woman. And I'm not afraid to divulge my age. I am 58 years old. I am damn proud of it. And I am on a mission for midlife women to understand and realize how viable they are and how relevant they are and doggone it, how fabulous they are. And, you know, that's my thing. That's my jam. I love that you use the word midlife because I think that a lot of times we hear middle-aged. So I would love for you to tell us, like, why midlife? Why that word? Because there's so much. I love it. That's my word. And what is midlife? What are the age brackets that we're talking about here when we're discussing midlife? Well, there are several different schools of thought as to the actual age. Some say it's late 30s to late 60s. Others say it's mid 40s to mid 60s. I like to go with about 45 up to about 64, 65, somewhere in there. And it's midlife for me. It's not middle. I have never referred to myself as middle age. That to me, it just brings about, you know, like Monty Python, Holy Grail, and, you know, all, all this, like the middle ages. 
And that to me is not where I'm at. I don't like the term a middle-aged woman. I am in midlife and that's who I am. I embrace that fully and wholly back in 2015 when I realized, you know what? This is the stage of life that I am in. I can't go backwards. I'm going to be here. So I may as well embrace it, enjoy it, and try to do as much as I can and get the most out of it. I am not the woman that you are going to see sitting on the porch with the cap and the crocheted blanket and the mint julep, watching people walk by and just kind of make it. That's not me. Personally, I appreciate that your call is for us to be active throughout our lives, not just you know, hand over the mantle of influence to just the youth or just the elderly and sort of watch it all happen. We need to be actively participating in it. And it's interesting you said that also about claiming it because holy smokes, Misasha, we say on the show, we met 25 years ago, right? Misasha and I have been the best of friends for 25 years and we're freaking entering midlife. And I think that acceptance of where we're at is so important not as a resignation, but as a new way to look at what we have gained in this period of life. And what do you think is the mindset shift that has to happen to go from sort of maybe almost that mindset of I'm middle-aged to, uh uh-uh, I'm actually in my midlife? I think we need to stop thinking that youth is where it's at. We need to get out of that headspace because quite frankly, we are no longer young. And there's no shame in saying that. We need to step away from that. We need to stop trying to feel like we're young. And I say that sounds contradictory, but by that, I mean, we need to stop trying to compare ourselves to the 20 or 30 somethings and say, I can do that. I can be that. You can do that. And you can be that, but you can do it as a midlife woman, we need to really and truly get away from thinking that we are only viable and relevant when we are in our younger years. As you said, you are coming into midlife, and me, Sasha, you are like so close on the heels of it. Glide right into it and don't think of it as this big change. You know, it's this big thing that's happening now. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just accept it as another day. It's another birthday. It's another year. It's another time in life. If you think about it as, oh my gosh, it's another chapter. I don't so much like to think of it in that way because when you think of another chapter, you think, okay, I've ended this chapter and now this is a whole new thing. Yeah, it's a whole new phase in life. But if you just think of it as your continuation of life, which is really what it is, it's your continuation of life. And, you know, as we get older, ladies, we do have that sense of of wisdom. And you talked about wanting to be, you know, the elder and, and, you know, carrying on these traditions and things of that nature. We can still do that and we can go into it in such a natural flow without it being this big hiccup in life. It's not like you have to, you know, go from this room into that big scary room. You have to close the door and then go into this new one. 
if we just don't think of it in this big, scary way, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's just another step in life. You know, don't be afraid of it. Well, this is clearly the conversation I needed to have today. And, you know, I was thinking about age, right? Because I remember having one conversation and only one with my white grandmother about her age. And I asked her her age and she said, and she's from Mississippi, you don't ask a woman her age. And my Japanese grandmother's age was like a state secret. I couldn't get that out of anyone. And so, I mean, I grew up with this very concept that as women, we don't talk about age. So I think now my husband is always like, why are you telling everyone how old you are? And I was like, because there is some pride in that. And so I love what you're saying about midlife and how this is not, you know, the end of a chapter and the start of a new one. It is this great continuation of this experience that we get to have. And it comes in different forms and in different ways, but it is still fundamentally us. You know that you have this very clear example at the start of your TEDx talk about this invisibility trifecta. And so I would love for you to tell our listeners, what is the invisibility trifecta and why does it matter? Well, the invisibility trifecta, as you know, trifecta is three. So it's three things that encompass this trifecta. It is midlife, women, and color, all of which I am. I am a midlife woman of color. You are a midlife woman of color. You're all midlife women of color. And the invisibility trifecta really goes into how we're moving past the invisible woman syndrome, I'm taking it a step further because I'm dealing specifically with women of color and how society has kind of pushed us to the side. They ignore us. They skip over us. We're not as relevant. We're not seen as relevant. And to some extent, sometimes we kind of play into that and we're complicit in giving society the permission to treat us in that manner because we don't speak up. And when I say speak up, I don't mean we have to bang our fists and flip tables over and stomp through the room like Godzilla. We don't have to do that. We can make ourselves known. We can make ourselves relevant. We can make ourselves the ones that come out of that whole frame of invisibility and stop kind of letting society walk all over us. I kind of have a presence. I'm not Godzilla. <laughs> I am a black woman. I'm 5'8". And usually I wear heels. I really don't wear heels quite as much now. That's a whole nother story about my medical condition. But when I walk into a room, I am that woman to be noticed. I'm not shouting. I'm not yelling. But I have a sort of presence. And I kind of carry that presence with me because I don't want to be that shrinking violent. I don't want to be that woman that's relegated to the sidelines. And being a part of the invisibility trifecta to me means that we are aware of it and we want to make other people aware of it so that they know, you know what, that woman over there, that Asian woman or that Filipino woman, or that Black woman. She is part of society. She is a part of the people in this room. 
Give her that voice. Let her use her voice. Don't relegate her to the sidelines. When you were just talking about the idea of invisibility, I wanted to dig into that a little bit more and how that shows up. Can you give me some idea of what you mean by the invisibility of this generation? And I say that specifically to some of our listeners who might be in their 20s and 30s and are like, what are you talking about? I'm not invisible. I don't understand. Marketers, advertising, brands, they don't value my generation. They don't value people who look like me and especially women of color. A lot of the advertisement is geared towards the younger set. And when I was younger, yeah, I was all into that. And I never, truly never gave any thought to getting older and kind of being pushed to the sidelines. So the advertising is big on that. In the job market, when I started looking for a job after being out of the market for about 10 years, I got back in when I was 56. And people don't say it. They don't tell you they're not going to hire you because of your age. But it's a shame that a person like me has to really kind of dummy down my resume or shave years off the back end so that the hiring person is not trying to calculate my age. And I was actually given that advice. Take some of these things off of your resume so that you only have about 15 years worth because if they see, they start adding up years where she was here for 10 years, here for six years, here for seven years. You know, this woman has got to be ancient. And it played out in, this was before I got that advice. And I went through about 200 resumes that I sent out. And people would talk to me. And for me, it was a nightmare. And, you know, we're at this point in our lives, the women of midlife, where we are just not seen. The example that I gave in my talk, the invisibility trifecta, why midlife women of color matter, I walked into the store and there's a young gentleman coming in my direction. He worked at the store. And he starts to open his mouth and I'm thinking he's going to say something to me. He says, welcome to blah, 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 blah. How may I help you today? And I thought he was talking to me and brother man went right past me and he went to two younger women who had just come into the store behind me. He didn't see me. Now, I don't look 90 years old, but I certainly don't look 20 years old. And so walking into the store, I did not fit the demographic. He did not see me. I wasn't wearing old lady pants. I wasn't wearing the uh, comfortable, ugly old lady shoes. You know, none of that. There was none of that about me. Yet he took one look at me and then looked right through me because I did not fit that demographic of this particular store. Was I offended? Yeah, I was. And I chose not to say something to him because it happens all the time. And it's one of the things that we really need to stop doing and stop letting be done to us. Walking up to Starbucks to get a coffee and I'm invisible where, you know, may I help you? And they're talking to the person behind me. 
because I'm looking at something at the counter. But, you know, I'm hello, I'm here. I'm standing right here in front of you. And it really is almost like we have just disappeared and faded into the woodwork or faded into, you know, the scenery. And it's laughable, but it's also a bit sad. And I don't want to live the rest of my life with people ignoring me. I really appreciate those examples that you shared because they're so concrete, right? And painful, I think, but it's really important to understand that impact of those moments, which seems so small in passing, but together, right, over time, that is a lot. I've been curious since I heard your TEDx talk, like what was it the compilation of all of these moments that you were noticing that led you to write that talk and give that talk? Was it, you know, hearing from other women? Because I know I talk about where my stage in life with other women who are, you know, in that same stage of life, and we commiserate and we celebrate, right? Both the good and the bad. So what was your inspiration and impetus for this talk? It has happened to me several times. And oddly enough, this is not something that other women have shared with me feeling invisible. You know, I've read about it a couple of times. And again, you hear about the invisible woman syndrome. But when that relates to a woman of color, that audience gets even smaller. And so as a midlife woman on my website, on Midlife Agogo, I talk a lot about the trials and tribulations and the joys of being a midlife woman. And But when you get to the invisibility trifecta, that framework applies to me as being a female and a woman of color. But then when you add midlife to that, okay, now we're really talking. And so as a midlife woman, I would always talk about, uh, let's say, menopause. We really didn't hear people talking about menopause. It was not a subject that I talked with with my mother. My gynecologist never talked to me about it. So I started writing about it. And so it was menopause this and menopause that. And, you know, I was all over it. And when I really started thinking about being a woman of color and being kind of pushed aside, that's when I really started noticing it more. And so again, I have not had many women talk to me about that. So when I thought about it in terms of TEDx, they were looking for ideas worth sharing. And when I started looking for uh, online about being an invisible midlife woman of color, I saw nothing. Zip, zip, zero, nada. And I thought, here is my chance to bring this to the forefront and to bring it out and let people understand. And I want to make it clear that I am not just talking to other midlife women of color because that's working in a silo. I am talking to women in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, and people beyond midlife women. And I say that because it is something that affects us, midlife women of color, but it is something that needs to be on the radar of everyone else. You need to really understand how this is affecting midlife women of color, specifically. We're talking about feelings of depression. The self-esteem takes a hit when you are feeling invisible. We feel invalidated 
because we are not seen, we suffer from anxiety, we begin to doubt ourselves and our relevancy in society. So it's not just me sitting up here talking about where, where, where I'm not being seen, women like me are not being seen. There are a lot of things that come with that. You know, it's like a comet. You see the front of it and then, then you have that tail in. And that tail in is all of the ramifications of feeling invisible as a midlife woman of color. Absolutely. Misasha and I have talked a lot about the importance of mattering. And, you know, there's so many psychological studies that talk about how people need to belong, how human beings just need to feel like they matter, like they have not just the ability to be seen, but that they can add value to society. And so I think what you're talking about is absolutely spot on. And even when you were mentioning stuff like being looked through at like by the shopkeeper, you know, I had this instant feeling of like, how would I feel? I would be like, do I need to make sure my hair is colored? Do I need to make sure that like my outfit is cute enough? I have to look a certain way. You're right that it would instantly be like, what's wrong with me? What do I need to do to get more attention? And if I don't get it in positive ways, I can see where you'd also get really, really frustrated. Not you, but that someone would get, it'd be frustrating to be looked through time and time again, especially when you already have held multiple marginalized identities your entire life. And one thing I really want to point out is when we're talking about the invisible woman syndrome. A lot of people equate that to the gaze of men. I then have lost interest in me. They don't look at me. I'm not getting the cat calls and the wolf whistles when I walk past construction sites. But feeling invisible goes so far beyond that. We need to stop thinking that if a woman says she feels invisible, it means that she feels like a man is not paying attention to her. It goes so much further than that. I really appreciate you said that because I think you're absolutely right. A lot of that focus on women's invisibility has been tied to that male gaze. And that is just the surface that is nowhere near the depth in the experience of being invisible, especially when you're talking about these different identities. And I want to talk about menopause for a second, because first of all, I up until 2021, I had zero conversations and heard nothing about menopause or perimenopause or anything. And suddenly I started not only seeing it in starting to have conversations with my friends, but seeing it in like my LinkedIn news feeds. I was seeing fitness now sort of designed for women going through, you know, not only the menstrual cycle, but looking at menopause. And suddenly I feel like it's come out, but just in these past sort of six months into this, it's okay to talk about this because it affects a whole bunch of people that we have largely marginalized until now, but we've recognized there's something here. And Today in my newsfeed, menopause showed up in a different way, though, when it was talking about this survey from the UK that just came out saying almost a sort of under the great resignation headline that is, you know, everyone sort of experiencing now in the corporate world, but it was saying almost a fifth of the female workforce who are experiencing menopause or considering leaving their jobs. And this study that was commissioned by this childcare service, Coral Kids, showed that most women don't get any support at work for their symptoms. And almost a quarter of them are unhappy in their jobs because of it. And so almost 18% are thinking about quitting altogether. And this was a survey of 2000 women between the ages of 45 and 67. That is a huge number as you know, as a representational survey, it's a huge number. If you extrapolate that out, 
it's a gigantic number. And so given everything that we've talked about, I'm curious to know what advice, like if, you know, you would be giving employers who are considering, you know, how to retain this talent pool. I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, actually caring about the stages of life that your workforce is going through is a big one, but you know, what else should employers be considering? Well, they need to first realize that menopause is not a disease. It's a stage of life and women are going to go through it. Their forties, they're going to go through it. I think employers really need to have empathy for women because there are going to be days. Let me tell you, this is going to sound scary to you, but there are at least 34 symptoms of menopause. Many people know about the irritability and the hot flashes and the night sweats, but there are a whole, you know, just a whole ball of other things that are going to affect women in the workplace. I really think there needs to be some, I don't know, like a special, I don't want to say a special counsel at work, but because these are our symptoms that women are actually going to encounter, they need to be taken into account when employers start thinking about sick days. Now, when women are not feeling bad as it relates to menopause, I don't know how much of that they're saying, I'm taking the time off from work, but they're going to be feeling some of these symptoms while they're at work. You know, honestly, I really don't know what to say to employers. I honestly am at a loss. I will say that and the numbers that you gave and the results of the survey that you gave are scary because in the UK, they are far more progressive when dealing with menopause. They talk about it so much more than we do here in the US. And if women there have no support system on the job, just imagine what's happening with women here in the US. The more we talk about it, the more we make it mainstream, the more employers know that this is something that really needs to be looked at instead of sweeping it under the rug or thinking about, well, Mary Jane, she's not feeling well today. You know, we're, you know, I just can't deal with her. I feel like one of the things that I was hearing from this conversation though, is that it fits this trend that I'm seeing. I feel like there's this divide between companies that are still expecting humans to be like slightly more animated robots and denier humanity versus companies that are leading with love, that are leading with realities of working parents. Like I think some of these progressive companies that are, and I hate that that's progressive, not mainstream, but the progressive companies that are honoring maternity and paternity leave, that honor you know, child care and sick care for the children or for our families that are really just appreciating that at the end of the day, everybody in the company is a human being that are going through things. This seems like a step or a stage for them to make sure they're also thinking about. And I'm hoping that there are going to be more and more companies that embrace this way of looking at it because I only see this as a sustainable model going forward as we sort of enter the new normal post-pandemic as well. And when you talk about those companies being, uh, quote, progressive in that way, I think looking at women and how they're dealing with menopause and how it affects their bottom line and the production of their employees, they need to fold that right on in there with 
the maternity leave and FMLA and all of that. I mean, I hear that some companies now are letting the fathers be a part of the maternity leave. They can now take maternity leave from their jobs because they are a parent just as much as the woman is. And so that's one way that they can can help with this. And like you said, it's a shame to think of it as, oh, they're so progressive. You know, this is 2022. We should have been at this point by now. And the progressive companies are a minority. They're in that small set. Other companies need to embrace that and take that on. As we're thinking about ways for companies to do it, I was thinking about what role any of us can also play, no matter our race, to change this bias that society has. You know, both like, what can we do to help others? And then also, how can those of us women of color who are aging into midlife, also, what can we do to make ourselves feel less invisible? And one of the thoughts, the reasons I sort of am especially thinking about this is one of my kiddos teachers, one of my daughters is in middle school, and one of her teachers regularly talks about her period and how whatever happened to the COVID vaccine, it changed her period cycle. So she's feeling particularly irritable today. I'm so sorry. Like she has been normalizing this conversation. And I have to admit my initial reaction was like, what is she doing talking about her period to the kids? And at the same time, she's talking to girls who are about to enter that phase of their life if they haven't already. And she's normalizing it for them. And I continue to have my mind blown by this teacher who's doing such cool work just in what she talks about her own experience in modeling for the children in front of her. And so when I think about things like that, I want to come up with more things that each of us can do to shift the narrative, to change the bias. One of the things that I think we can do is to just make our voices heard. And I, I don't mean that in a loud and boisterous way. When you see something, say something. When You see a woman being ignored in the coffee shop when the barista, you know, just cuts right past her, goes right past her. If you're that woman standing behind her and you see this occur, say something. You know, the woman may not be strong enough to do it herself. Sometimes when we are relegated to invisibility, the more that it happens, the more that it affects us and the quieter we become. We kind of, you know, revert into a shell. Not me. I'm not that woman, but that happens with other women. Um, I think another thing that we can do is we just need to value what we have to offer. Our social currency is what sets us apart. We have life experience. We have wisdom. So we shouldn't allow ourselves to let that wisdom to be slashed, you know, put on sale, as it were, to be discounted, because we are still have that currency. And we can surround ourselves with women who have emotionally fulfilled lives, because that makes us feel more relevant. You know, we don't have that invisible mindset. So if you see someone who's in that invisible state, pull her in. Make her a part of your tribe. Negativity is like a disease, but positivity, you know, that's contagious. I can tell you I'm also going to be using personally, I'm 5'7", and I wear heels too. So I, um, but for a long time, I felt so self-conscious about my height because 
being Japanese too, I felt I was too big. So a lot of what I did was trying to make myself smaller. So it's been only really sort of in my 30s, mid to late 30s and my 40s, where I've been like, no, I, I'm here, all of me. So now I'm going to get even higher heels and just do that <laughs> more often. I'll let you run with that because my feet are wrecked and I can't wear heels anymore if I want to be able to walk more than five feet. <laughs> you know, ballet killed all the nerve endings. So that was a bonus. But I appreciate so much of what you said, because I think that there is real power in just being present, right? And making your presence known. And that is something I've heard so many women say that especially coming into their 40s, they feel so much more comfortable in who they are, right? So just that continual reminder to be our own advocates in how we stand for like there for ourselves. That's something I'm taking with me for sure. But you know, there are some women who choose to be invisible. And you know, that for them, that's okay. But we can't think that every woman that we see, every midlife woman of color, wants to be in that invisible range. If you see something, say something. If you see someone mistreated and passed over, you know, help them. You know, just be that other woman to uplift another woman. I love to see when women help each other out. And I do it. It's a natural thing for me to do that throughout my life. Some people would say, mind your own business. I would say, you know, help out another soul. It doesn't mean that I'm interfering. I'm just trying to help. I also think in terms of friendship circles, once I got past my early 20s, it was amazing to see that I could be friends with somebody who was in their 50s, right? Like you could have a 20-year age gap. Whereas when I was in my early 20s, I was not friends with like a five-year-old, right? But when you go past a certain age, you get to be able to reach a certain level of social skills and interests that when you know yourself better, when you know what you stand for, you can find people that do those things and learn and engage with people of all ages. So I think, you know, a lot of the times when Misasha and I do our work on intersectionality and we have people reflect on their own identities and their own biases, I think one of the things I want to make sure people are aware of is their identity as their age. And do we have friends who span the spectrum of years and decades, or are we really tightly knit in just our immediate surroundings and are not benefiting from the wisdom of either direction, so. Exactly. I could learn a lot from a 20 or 30 something. I know I can't. They have the pulse on what society wants and needs at this point in time. Conversely, I have so much to teach them, you know? And like I said, I want to go back to the menopause thing. I never talked to my mother about menopause. I came into menopause knowing absolutely nothing about it except you get hot flashes. That was all I knew. So my slate was, you know, just blank. And my doctor didn't talk to me about it. So when I started having these chest things and shortness of breath and all of this going on, I was transported by ambulance to the hospital, spent two days in the hospital to be diagnosed by the doctor with anxiety. And I knew that that was not it. I could not breathe. I was 51 years old. I started doing some research online and I came across an article. She was talking with her trainer. They were walking and she was explaining some of these odd symptoms that she was having. 
And he said to her, you might want to check with your gynecologist. It sounds like PVCs, premature ventricular contractions. I had never heard of these things. That's what I was having. That was a symptom of perimenopause. I didn't even know that I was in perimenopause. So I've done a whole lot of research. I have people on my website that talk about it. I want to tell the younger women in the audience, start talking with your mother, your grandmother, with other women, women like me. Start talking with them about peri and menopause so that you know what to expect. So that by the time you get to it and by the time you start having these symptoms, you won't be clueless. When you start getting a dry mouth or when you start getting the itchy feeling all over your body, you'll be a little bit better informed about what is happening to your body. Stay informed, ladies. (laughs) I so appreciate that, though, because it's true. We will all go through that, whether we choose to have children or not, right? Like our bodies, if we have the organs like ovaries and uterus, like we will go through it. It is a very natural cycle. And so we want to be aware of it because of the changes that we will inevitably go through at some stage in our life. And if you have a hysterectomy, that's going to throw you into early menopause. So the ladies out there who are about to have that, be prepared for that. It's all going to happen. I love it. Any other questions that we should be asking or things that you want to share? Well, in terms of menopause, I would say don't rely solely on your gynecologist because your gynecologists are specialists in that field. Look for a menopause specialist. The North American Menopause Society, their website has a database where you can go to look for menopause specialists in your area by zip code. That helped me find my menopause specialist. And it's so wonderful to talk to someone whose wheelhouse is everything that involves menopause and the 34 plus symptoms and the different treatments that are available for it. It was a godsend for me. When we're talking about the invisibility trifecta and midlife woman of color feeling invisible, come to me. I have some things that I'd like to share and I have some things that I would like to talk about. That's a conversation that I really want to get started. Not enough people are talking about it, which is why I did my TED Talk. And I'm hoping that there's a groundswell. I'm hoping that people start to realize that, you know what, this is happening and we really need to address it. For some reason, my TED Talk has started to gain so much traction. And I'm so happy about that because that means people are starting to pay attention. And I wish more people would. Other things that I could pass along as a wise woman of midlife, be true to yourself. Live your life the way that you want to. And for women who are not in midlife yet, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your age is. Be true to yourself. And don't let yourself be put in someone else's box. I love that, all of it. I feel like we could listen to your wisdom all day. If for <laughs> people who want to find more of your wisdom, where can they find you? My website, midlifeagogo.com. And it's not just wisdom from me. My podcast, which you will also find on the website, has seven seasons 
of phenomenal women and one man. <laughs> I only have one man that was interviewed on, on my podcast. We talk about a variety of things surrounding midlife and how we can just be graceful in this age, in this time of our life. One thing I also want to mention about midlife, I believe it's in Chinese culture. They refer to it as a second spring. And I think that is so beautiful. And in Chinese culture, they embrace their elders. They look at women like us as special people. And so they honor us. We don't do that so much here in the U.S. I'm not saying that people need to run up to me now and, you know, and say, can I help you cross the street and things like that. But, you know, I do have a lot of wisdom and people like me, we do. So just, you know, if you go to midlifeofgogo.com, there's just a lot of information there. There's a a variety of information there that you can find uh, about midlife. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. I'm so proud and honored to have been a guest on your show. Your show is phenomenal. I've listened to you for forever. And I just thought, you know, I'd like to be on that show. So I'm glad you have decided to have me to be a guest. You've been listening to the Dear White Women podcast and are the reason we are among the top one and a half percent of podcasts in the world. You rock. Did you love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave a rating and review. And it may seem like a pain, but it really helps. And make sure you're following us so you keep getting the newest episodes each Tuesday. Don't forget for all your non-podcast listener friends to tell them about our new book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism, which you can buy anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, where we would love your reviews. We're on Instagram and Twitter and are upping the game on our emails. And if you love us, send us an email at hello at dearwhitewomen.com to bring us into your company for a webinar or a workshop. 